Great job. Turn your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. And I know that we're living in turbulent times. I don't think anybody would dispute that. I think maybe we're coming out of a little bit of that, but around us things seem to be changing on, on a daily basis. You know, things we never expected to happen are occurring every single day. Um, it's, it's frustrating enough to have to put up with all the mandates and the masks and, you know, the social distancing and the number of people allowed to gather. And, uh, but then it seems like the CDC and the World Health Organization can't even decide on what they think is the right thing to do, you know? One day, masks are great. The next day, masks don't do so much, and you shouldn't be wearing them because they're not healthy for you. You know, uh, one day, the, the virus is only spread through the air. The next day, it's, it's not spread through the air. It's only spread by touching things, you know? They can't even decide on, on what they think is the right thing to do. And it's extremely frustrating because it seems like almost all of it is politically motivated uh, with very little, if any, scientific backing. And the very little scientific backing they do have is sketchy at best, you know? Um, a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of companies have gone out of business because of all of these, you know, these, these restrictions. And it's coming out more and more that most of these regulations were not based on anything. Uh, they were not based on science for sure. Uh, in fact, when I was up there in Pennsylvania uh, just a, a few days ago, earlier this week, uh, an article came out in their, the main paper up there that, that basically uh, some organization, I forget exactly who it was, sued the governor for all of these you know, restrictions that he had put into place, and the, and the court actually ruled in favor of the people who sued the governor. And what ended up coming out was that the governor up there, Governor Wolf, actually did not have any scientific basis for anything that he did. You know what his main basis for why he did what he did in the state? This is what the other states did. That's what he said. And he had a, he had a group of, of people who were his advisors, his board on all of these medical things. Not one of them had a medical certificate, let alone had gone to any kind of medical college or anything like that. Uh, companies went out of business. People lost their jobs. You can't, oh, sorry, we were wrong. You can't give those people their businesses back. You can't give those people their jobs back. I mean, what's done is done. It's permanent, you know, and, it, and it's so frustrating because a lot of these things are, oops, we made a mistake. When mostly it's not a mistake anyway. It's politically motivated and driven by all of those things. And uh, in fact, here in Virginia, the exact same thing has happened. Let me read you an article that came out just a couple days ago. The attorneys for Governor Ralph Northam and the four Madison County churchmen who sued him have submitted to Madison County Circuit Court Judge David B. Franzen, an agreed order declaring that none of Governor Northam's COVID-19 orders apply to churches which have left less than 250 attendees. So all of this, you can't have church and everything else. Oh, no, no, we never meant to, for, for it to be anything that was supposed to apply to churches with less than 250. The agreed order ends the case, they named the case there, which has been brought by four Madison County plaintiffs, and they named the people who were in the plaintiff, these four churchmen, and they call them churchmen because they're, they're just members of a church, filed suit against Governor Ralph Northam, claiming the governor's orders illegally put more COVID-19 limitations, restrictions, and mandates upon churches and churchgoers than he has placed on any other category of operation in Virginia. The plaintiff's complaint said that the governor's COVID-19 orders against churches violated the Virginia Constitution, Virginia's Bill of Rights, the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom, and other provisions of the Code of Virginia. These laws of the Commonwealth, the plaintiffs said, give Virginians even more freedom of religion than is granted to them under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. 
Plaintiff Joe Sansone, a private business owner and church attendee, pointed out that Governor Northam's heavy restrictions on churches had completely violated Section 16 of Virginia's Bill of Rights, which mentions, quote, our duty to practice Christian forbearance, love, and charity towards each other. Sansone said, quote, arbitrary restrictions on church attendance limit my ability to practice these articles of my faith. Under the agreed order, the only remaining restrictions on church attendance is Executive Order 63 regarding face coverings. The other executive orders had demanded that if a church, uh, church's attendees couldn't comply with all of these restrictions, then the church had to close. Now, under the agreed order in Executive Order 63, the face covering restrictions is on the individuals, not the churches. With this victory, says Plaintiff Charlie Sheeds, a master mechanic and church musician, quote, we as a church can come together and decide if we want to restrict ourselves, but the government cannot step in and do it for us. Another one of the plaintiffs said this, this is really a time where we absolutely have to give God all the credit. He's plaintiff Mike Sharman, a lawyer who teaches an adult Sunday school class at his church. He said this, in our suit, we simply asked for the law to be followed and justice to be done so that churches would be treated fairly. He says this, with our agreed order, we got more than justice. We received the blessing of seeing a Bible verse being fulfilled. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And you didn't hear anything about that in the news, did you? It wasn't all over WRVA, it wasn't all over ABC and NBC and all of those other things. All but the restrictions on the churches were, you can't meet with more than 10 people in a group, you have to have face coverings, you have to have social distancing and all of that other stuff. And now, with this order, with this, with this lawsuit that has been, basically it didn't even go to trial. The governor just agreed to it because he realized that there was no chance in the world that they were going to win a lawsuit against these churches because they were never founded, founded on anything constitutional in the first place let alone all of these other things that we have in Virginia that give us the liberty to do these things. And now, well, it's on the individual. If you feel like you're at risk, you wear a mask, but the churches don't have to mandate that or any of those other things. And, oh, by the way, you can meet in groups of at least 250 if you want to. We never meant for it to be less than that. This is what I'm talking about, why it's so frustrating with all of these things. And this is not a political message this morning. But I say all that to say this. If we're not careful, it's easy to become overwhelmed by everything that's going on around us. And when Jesus Christ walked on this earth, he spoke to his disciples concerning the last days. And we see that in Luke chapter 21 and verse number 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28 is our, our text for this morning. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. I'm not sure if these are the last days. There's been a lot of times over the last 2,000 years since Jesus Christ came the first time when people said, these are the last days. Jesus Christ is coming. Look at everything that's happening in this world, right? I don't know if these are the last days, but the world around us sure seems to hold all the indications that Jesus Christ's coming is very near. So let's listen to what Jesus has to say to us as he instructed his followers during this time. What should we as believers be doing in these days? That's the question that I want to answer this morning. Let's take a few minutes. The title of the message this morning is simply this, what to do in these days. What to do in these days. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a couple of these things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. What a blessing it is to be able to be here in church this morning. 
I thank you for the freedoms that we have under the Constitution, but even more than that, under the Word of God, the commands that we've been given to serve you. And I pray that you'd help us to stand strong, to fight against the things that would try to go against the Word of God, and that you might bless the message this morning. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, I want you to see this. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 21 and verse number 28. And when these things begin to come to pass. Number one, we should give heed. We should give heed. We have to be aware of what's happening around us. What are these things that Jesus Christ was referring to? Verse number 28, when these things begin to come. What's he talking about? Well, if we go back up in the passage a little bit, it starts to unfold it for us. By the way, the best way to understand a passage of Scripture, a verse in Scripture, is to go back and look at the context that that verse is being, uh, that, that that verse is being given in. In fact, that's, that's where a lot of people come up with a lot of doctrinal error. They pull one verse out and they make that verse the theme of that doctrine when they completely don't disregard the context of the passage. So let's go back and look in verse number 8. You see this in verse number 8, a lot of confusion. And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. Verse number 9, you see a lot of conflict. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then he said unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. In verse number 11, you see calamities. The great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. You know, everybody talks about, oh, that's 2020. That's exactly what's happening. I mean, well, it's just 2020. I can't wait to get to 2021. It's not like on December 31st, the earth is going to say, okay, well, I guess that's over. Let's just go back to the way that it was before. No, these things are things that are being brought to pass because the end is near. Jesus Christ is coming back soon, I believe. But we also see this. Verse number 12, but before all these things, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. We're seeing this happen right now. Isn't that exactly what I'm talking about with John MacArthur in the case out there in California? He's being brought before princes and kings. They're, they're bringing him before judges. They're, they're telling him that everything that he's doing is not constitutional. They're trying to fine them an uh, exorbitant amount of monies, uh, money and all of that kind of stuff. Verse 13, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, get this, settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Isn't that something? You don't have to think about what you're going to say ahead of time. Just go to prison. Go, go before these people. God will give you the words to say. I believe that's exactly what he's doing with John MacArthur. You know, John MacArthur is standing for truth. He's standing for what the Bible tells us we are supposed to do. And God's given him the right words to say, obviously, because the courts have all ruled in his favor. And, and not in John MacArthur's favor, in favor of the word of God, because John MacArthur is just standing on the word of God when it comes to those things. There's a lot of other pastors that are doing the exact same thing. There's a church up in New Jersey that is in the middle of a lawsuit right now, Solid Rock Baptist Church, who very early on decided they were not even going to close down at all. And they got sued, and they're going through a lawsuit. And the lawsuit, it's making its way up to higher and higher courts because this is something that's more than just a local issue. This is a national issue. This is a constitutional issue. And it's going to end up before the Supreme Court, and we really need to pray that God would give favor to these churches and these pastors and these lawyers that are fighting for religious freedom. But God says this is going to happen. Verse number 16, we see condemnation. And you shall be betrayed both by parents 
and brethren and kinfolks and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. He also talks about crisis, and we read this already in verse number 26. But boy, if we don't see this happening right now. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. We have to give heed to what is happening around us. Now, incessantly following those things... Uh, because we don't, need, we don't need to be doing those things, because that, that often leads to worry, it leads to fear, it leads to obsession. Uh, but we most certainly cannot hide our heads in the sand and ignore what's going on around us. I'm not a huge prophecy guy, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but, but by that I mean I don't spend hours studying through the book of Revelation and trying to predict what's going to happen after Christ comes back. Nothing wrong with that. It's in the Bible. We should study what, what's going to happen in the, in the future and what's going to come. But I think sometimes people get so wrapped up in prophecy and so wrapped up in all of those things that they forget what the rest of the Bible talks about. And, you know, and, and why? Jesus Christ is going to come back. I knew it. I was right. I got it right. That's exactly what was going to happen. I've been saying that for my whole life. This is what's going to happen. And look, I'm right. I mean, you know, uh, that's not going to happen. Now, there are a lot of doctrinal things that we need to know. We're not going to be here during the tribulation. We're going to be taken out. Pre-tribulational rapture. If Jesus Christ comes back and we are only taken out mid-trib, number one, the Bible says that those who are saved are going to be saved from the wrath to come. If we have to go through half of the tribulation, then how are we saved from the wrath to come? And beyond that, the fact is that, well, nobody know, no man knows when Jesus Christ is going to come back. Well, if we go through half of the tribulation, we should be able to pinpoint, well, that, that started day one right there. So three and a half years, okay, Jesus Christ is coming back at this day. We wouldn't be able to do that if we knew when Jesus Christ was coming, if we were going through the tribulation. So I say all that to say that, that prophecy is not... Uh, uh, unimportant. Prophecy is not something that we should not pay attention to. Uh, but a lot of the other books explain what the days are going to look like when Jesus Christ is going to come back. Right? And it looks a whole lot like it looks like now. Give heed, he says. Be aware of the things that are shaping up just like the Bible declared they would be. We're watching prophecy unfold before our very eyes and we have a front row seat to the action. I think that's exciting. Think about the Christians who lived, you know, 1,500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago. They didn't see the things like we get to see today. Boy, what a, what a privilege it would be to be a Christian alive on the earth when Jesus Christ came back. Think about all the thousands and probably millions of messages that have been preached by pastors who said, I sure hope Jesus Christ comes back in my day. And then they lived their life and they died and they went on to heaven. But here we have an opportunity, we have a great opportunity to be the Christians who are alive on the earth when Jesus Christ comes back. Give heed, pay attention to what's going on around us. We should give heed, but also Jesus says, when you see all these things start to come into pass, what does he say? Then look up. Then look up. We should gaze heavenward. What an admonition. It's important that we be aware of what's unfolding around us, but that's not the primary focus of our attention. See, the problem with Christians, I believe in particular, is that we start looking in all the wrong places. We start looking around us and we get discouraged. That situation is going to overwhelm us if we just start looking around. We look behind us, we're going to get disappointed. The failures of our past, and we've all made mistakes, the failures of our past haunt us. The failures of our past, the devil tries to bring those things up. And sometimes when we start looking in the past, we get wrapped up in those things and it becomes discouraging to us. We look ahead, we're going to be distressed. There's a lot coming. 
I believe that the church is going to go through persecution, even in the United States of America. We're seeing parts of that happening right now. Now, nobody's been burned at the stake. Nobody's been crucified on a cross. Nobody's been, you know, to the guillotine and had their head chopped off or anything like that. But that's happening all the way around the world. That's happening in a lot of other places. In fact, did you know that more Christians are being persecuted and killed in the world today than at any other point in our human history? You don't hear about it on the news because that's not something that they're talking about. And they may not be exactly our brand of Christianity, but those who claim Jesus Christ are being killed everywhere around the world. It's coming. It's coming. We very well may have to face persecution. and we start looking ahead at some of those things, it can, get this, it can get us discouraged. But if we look up, we're going to be delighted. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's where our eyes ought to be focused. That's where our eyes need to be. He'll, he's never going to disappoint us. He's never going to desert us. He's never going to be defeated. And that should lead to the natural next step, and that is this. We should get happy. Luke chapter 21 and verse 28 says, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads. Don't be downhearted. It's time to be happy. I had a wrestling coach that always used to say, Get your head up. Get your head up. Our assistant coach, he... Uh, he uh, uh, helped coach soccer. So we had the same coach for soccer and wrestling, and we had an assistant coach that would help out with some of those things as well. And so he, would, he wasn't at every practice, but whether we were running or wrestling or whatever else, he said, where your head is looking is where you're going to go. Get your head up. Get your head up. I think by that what he meant was that if your head's down and you look like you're defeated, and if you, uh, if you look like you're, um, uh, you're acting like you're defeated, then very likely you're going to be defeated because that's what happens. when the, Your attitude determines a whole lot. Somebody said your attitude determines your altitude. Get your head up in the air, he used to say. If you act defeated, it's probably not going to be long before you will be. But that's what happens as Christians so often. We walk around, we mope through life, and oh, the Christian life is so hard. Oh, it's so difficult. Oh, I can't wait to just go on to heaven. I can't wait till Jesus Christ comes back. And we are looking forward to those things. But we're not in heaven yet, and Jesus Christ has not come back yet. So why don't you put a smile on your face and act like you are a Christian and that you enjoy it? Get your head up. Jesus Christ is coming back. But we have a lot to live for before he does. Amen. I always used to tell the young men that I coached in soccer, you know, never let the other team know that you're tired. They'd get done running sprints, and they'd all be over there on their knees, huh, you know, sucking wind and everything else. Say, stand up. Stand up. If you can learn to breathe and get your breath standing up and walking around, you give yourself a whole lot of an advantage because the other team is bending over on their knees, sucking wind, and they look around at you, and they see, man, these guys aren't even tired. It's not that you're not tired. It's not that you, you know, aren't, aren't sucking wind. It's just that you're not going to show the enemy. And it's not an enemy. I should say the opponent. We're not trying to kill him out there. But you're not going to show the opponent that you're tired. And that gives you an advantage. And the same thing is true when it comes to the devil. Boy, you can't get that Christian discouraged. What am I going to do? I'm, you know, God's not up in heaven wringing his hands wondering what's going to happen. But I, I, sometimes I think that the devil does because he knows ultimately that he's going to be defeated. He knows ultimately that even though he wins battles, he has lost the war already. He knows what his ultimate uh, punishment is going to be. The devil knows that he's going to be in hell in chains forever and ever and ever. He knows that that's coming. Sometimes I think he does wring his hands. Boy, how are we going to get these Christians to fail? I can't get them discouraged. They won't keep their heads down. No, that's why we ought to get our heads up. Let, don't let the enemy know. Don't let, and he is the enemy. We are trying to destroy him. But don't let the enemy know that we're tired. Don't let him know that we're discouraged. 
See, this verse is confirmation that things are unfolding just as Jesus promised that they would. See, he's never been wrong before, and this is not going to be the first time. I, I'm, I may not understand what's happening, but he does, and I can trust him. He's not up on the throne saying, boy, I didn't see this coming. Boy, 2020 is taking me by surprise too. Oh, what am I going to do about this COVID? Oh, all these churches are closing now and they're doing all this stuff with the government. Boy, I never saw that coming. He's not sitting up in heaven wondering what he's going to do. It's unfolding exactly the way that he said it was going to from the very beginning of time. I may not understand it, but I can lift up my head because I know that ultimately, no matter how bad it looks, I'm on the winning side. Jesus Christ is the conquering king. Jesus Christ is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm on his side. And that means I'm a winner too. Amen. I don't have to be discouraged. Amen. But this confirmation leads to jubilation. My heart can overflow with peace and joy knowing that he's in control. I heard an old chorus. In fact, if, I, I want to sing it. I want you to sing it with me. You might not know it. But I, I want to teach it to you. I heard an old chorus. It's just, it's stuck with me ever since I heard it. And I think it's, I think it's part of a longer song. But I'm happy in the Lord anyway. She's going to play through it real quick. I'm happy in the Lord anyway. And it really doesn't matter what comes my way today. I'm going to wear a smile, hold my head up high and say, I'm happy in the Lord anyway. Sing it again. Ready? I'm happy in the Lord anyway. And it really doesn't matter what comes my way today. I'm going to wear a smile, hold my head up high and say, I'm happy in the Lord anyway. One more time. I want it to stick in your head because it will. I'm happy in the Lord anyway. And it really doesn't matter what comes my way today. I'm going to wear a smile, hold my head up high and say, I'm happy in the Lord anyway. See, when you get happy in the Lord and that jubilation builds, that leads to anticipation. Because you know what? Something's about to happen. Remember how excited you were as a child when Christmas was coming? It didn't even have to be Christmas Eve. All it had to be was December 1st, and you started wondering all of these things. What am I going to get for Christmas, you know? My kids start making out a list on January 1st of all the things they want for Christmas next year. And I've started doing the same thing, all right? Because you get excited about Christmas coming. What am I going to get for Christmas? And then Christmas Eve, and oh, I know how it was when we were growing up. We always used to beg my parents, can we open just one present on Christmas Eve, you know? And I think one time that actually happened, and so then the rest of the time we were growing up, can we open up a present on Christmas Eve? I'm sure my parents got so sick of it, you know? But that anticipation of what's coming, what am I going to get? What is going to be under the Christmas tree that year? And that's exactly what this is all about when it comes to Jesus Christ coming back. That leads to anticipation. I can't wait for him to come back. What's it going to be like when he comes? The child of God has that excitement and it's growing with every single passing day. We shouldn't be looking around and getting discouraged at everything that's going on. We should be looking around and getting excited because that means Jesus Christ is coming back and hopefully soon. Amen. We should give heed. We should gaze heavenward. We should get happy. And why? Because we're all going home. The Bible says at the end of Luke chapter 21 and verse 28, And lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh for those who are saved we have been redeemed by the blood of jesus christ 
And he's coming back to take those that he's redeemed. And lift up your heads, he says, the redemption draweth nigh. Every day that passes brings us one day closer to his glorious appearing when he's going to call us home. In fact, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is a passage that you're familiar with. Paul lays it out for us there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 16. He says, number one, that there will be a return. It says, for the Lord himself, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. There will be a return, but also, he continues, there will be a resurrection. The dead in Christ shall rise first. There's going to be a resurrection. We're going to be reunited with our bodies in heaven. Verse number uh, 16 at the end of there says that there will be a rapture. Then we which are alive and remain. Verse 17, I'm sorry. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's going to be a rapture. He also says that there's going to be a reunion. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And there's going to be rejoicing, he says. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says in verse number 18... Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What a comfort that is. Someday, Jesus Christ is going to come back. I hope it's today. But if it's not today, then I hope it's tomorrow. And if it can't be tomorrow, then let it be this month. Let it be before we have to finish out 2020, right? Just come back. Even so, the Bible says in Revelation 21, even so, come Lord Jesus. That ought to be our prayer. That ought to be our excitement. That ought to be our anticipation. As Walter Harrell, the, the uh, songwriter, wrote this, no more night. No more pain, no more tears, never crying again. Praises to the great I am. We will live in the light of the risen Lamb. What can be more exciting than knowing that we're going home? I want you to look at one last verse, and we'll be done this morning. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We should give heed. We should gaze heavenward. We should get happy because we're going home. And the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 26. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. I hope this message is an encouragement to you this morning. What do you do in these days of uncertainty? And there's no doubt that we're living in days of uncertainty. Well, you give heed. You pay attention. Keep your eyes up. You know what's going on around you, but you gaze heavenward. Our focus shouldn't be on everything that's going on around us. Keep your eyes where they belong. And you get happy. There's nothing to mope around about. We're serving the King of kings. We're serving the Lord of lords. He has never lost and he never will. And you do all of that because you know that someday and hopefully soon you're going home. Which brings me to this point. Do you know for sure that you are going home when Jesus Christ comes back? There's going to be a lot of people who think that they're saved. There's going to be a lot of people who said, well, I think I did something when I was a kid, or, or even people who say, well, I was baptized as a baby. That certainly counts for something. Not according to the Word of God. That's right. We have to come to know Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior after you reach that age of accountability. There are kids that are too little. Charlie, he's running around in there. He hears all the stories about heaven. He hears all of those other things. He's too young to understand how to be saved. And you look at the story, Brian read through some of that this morning in Sunday school, but David talked about this, this little baby that he had with Bathsheba after he sinned with her, and, and God took the baby. And he was mourning and praying, and, and he wouldn't eat and all of those things before the baby died, but after the baby died, he got up, he washed himself, he 
changed his clothes. He went and sat down to eat, and all of his servants said, something seems backward, David. What's, something's not right about this. You were mourning and doing all that stuff while the baby was alive, and now the baby died, and you act like everything's fine. He said, it is fine, because I can't do anything about it now. I can't, he, he can't come back to me, but I can go to him. And what an encouraging verse to show us that those who die, these babies, especially these millions and millions of un, uh, unborn babies who are being killed, who are being murdered through abortion, all they're doing is sending them home. And someday they're going to be reunited with Jesus Christ. Well, they are reunited with Jesus Christ. And for those who lose babies that are saved, they're going to go up to heaven someday and they're going to see that baby again. Because they haven't reached that age where they have to make that decision for themselves. And somebody who's baptized as a baby never made a decision for themselves to do that. They didn't even know they were getting wet, right? We get baptized because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And there comes a point when every single one of us has to make that decision for ourselves. And for those who have made that decision and who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's such an encouraging thing because we are going home. Because it doesn't matter what happens in this life. It doesn't matter what goes on around us. It doesn't matter what we're dealing with. Someday we're going home. Let's go about this week with our hands busy in the service of the king and our eyes looking for the soon appearing of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. He's coming back. Are you ready? And if you are, then let's get excited. Let's get busy serving him. Let's get busy telling others how they can also come and join that crowd in the sky when Jesus Christ comes back. I hope it's today. But if it's not today, I hope it's soon. And if not soon, then I'm looking forward to the day that he finally takes me home. It's very interesting that in Revelation chapter 22, not the very last verse, but the verse right before the very last verse, uh, gives not only uh, this, the very last promise, but also this, the very last request in the Bible. Revelation 22, 20, he which testified these things, and here's the last promise, surely I come quickly. And the last request, even so, come, Lord Jesus. I hope you can say that this morning. I hope you can mean it this morning. And if you can, then let's get excited about him. Let's serve him. Let's live for him. Let's be a witness for him. Let's do the things that we would do if we knew that Jesus Christ was coming back today because there's a good possibility he will. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. What a, what a tremendous privilege it is to be able to open up the word of God. What a tremendous privilege it is to be able to share the truths that we find in the word of God. And God, I do pray that if there happens to be somebody in here this morning that's never accepted you as their savior, that they'd get that taken care of. But God, for those of us who are on our way to heaven, I pray that you'd help us to get excited. I know the world looks dark. I know that there seems to be a whole lot going on that would give us a lot of things to be discouraged about. But how, as Christians, can we be discouraged when we have so many things to look forward to because of the end? And God, I pray that you'd help us to be excited, to show that excitement by sharing the gospel, by letting other people know that they too can share in that excitement with us. And God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed.